0: Thank you, worship team. Kids, you are dismissed through to your classrooms up through uh, grade five. You can go ahead and walk back. Got some volunteers walking back with you. Parents, if you want to uh, feel more comfortable walking your kids back, you're more than welcome. But uh, kids, you are dismissed to go to your classes. And for the rest of you, please turn with me and your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 19 through 25 this morning, so you're going to want to have that in front of you, whether it's on your phone or in the real life hard copy, but uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25 this morning. As you're turning there, I just wanted to kind of express my appreciation for a few groups of people, um, with, uh, with uh, Jason sharing about... Uh, staff appreciation a couple weeks ago month, and it's just gotten me into the spirit of appreciation, and so I want to give a a shout out to a few groups of people this morning. First of all, to Pastor David for uh, faithfully preaching in my absence last week. I was able to be on a a trip with my dad and my two brothers. We had a a little getaway, the four of us, and it was a lot of fun and uh, really uh, appreciated being able to be away uh, last weekend and also just with the knowledge that uh, uh, Pastor David was going to rightly handle the word of truth, and it's just such a blessing. For me as a pastor to know that we have uh, guys on staff who can do that and uh, never didn't even have to think twice about it. So, anyways, thank you to Pastor David and uh, trust that you were encouraged last week, especially as he talked about the difference, what that means, the difference between being tempted and tested, and especially how we're the way that we're sustained in trial is by remembering God's goodness. So, I pray that you were encouraged by that. So, that's my first shout out this morning. Thanks to Pastor David for preaching last week. Secondly, I want to give a shout out to the warp Small group. We should have some pictures on the screen coming up here. There we are there's a that's uh, Bob Lang he's not doing much in that picture, but he worked hard that day. Uh, the warp Small group uh, built a ramp. he's not doing much in the background of that picture either, but I promise <laughs> he was working hard. he's extremely talented uh, in construction but uh, <laughs> that's funny. so anyways uh, the warp small group um, built a ramp for somebody in Kokomo who uh, was wheelchair bound and was not able to get out of their house. In fact, they'd only been out of their house uh, once, or uh, in the last year and a half, the only times they'd been out of their house, this person was uh, for doctor's appointments. And so, um, this was, I mean, just no better way to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So it's just really, really cool. This, the this Warp small group gave up an entire Saturday. You can see the finished product there uh, to serve uh, this person. And uh, there's an a organization. There's the whole group of them together. There's an organization, actually, that uh, does this. They find people that need ramps built if they're wheelchair-bound, and then they actually buy all the supplies, and then they just need churches to supply the people. And so this is something that we did kind of for the first time as a trial Run, but we'd love to keep doing this, uh, so if that's something that you're interested in in the future, if it's something you feel like you've got those gifts, or even if you don't, but you just want to be a part of it, I know you probably already filled out your connection card and stuck it in the book, but if you want to dig it back out and just mark on there that you might be interested in us putting you on a list to do something like that in the future, uh, I'd encourage you to do that, but just really, really cool, so just uh, shout out to the Warp Small Group for being the hands and feet of Jesus, for using their, uh, giving the whole Saturday last week uh, to do this, and uh, yeah, showing what uh, following Jesus is all about. Third group I want to give a shout out to is the group of ladies who answer the phones during uh, the week here at Rock Prairie. So maybe you know, maybe you don't, but if you come anytime between 10 and 2, uh, 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., Monday to Friday, there's somebody sitting back in the reception area answering the phones for us at Rock Prairie, and uh, it is such a blessing to us on staff to have them doing that. And so, so there's some days that are maybe more quiet, they don't feel like they're doing a whole lot, but just. Having them there, volunteering their time, being a face for anyone who walks in—a smiling face right there, being willing to—and sometimes you never know what kind of situations come through the door, but always being flexible and adaptable—and it's just such a huge blessing to us. So, if you are one of those ladies, would you please stand up so we can thank you for? I'm getting head shaking. Okay, raise your hand at least if you're one of those ladies. So, uh, there we go. Um, uh, anyways, thank you. Can we pl- thank praise the Lord for them? And if you come into the church between ten and two. On uh, Monday to Friday, make sure you thank uh, whoever's there for um, all of that they do. All right, there's one last group that I really is overdue to give thanks to who serve our body uh, behind the scenes in ways that most people don't see, and that is the trustees. So the trustees work really hard to make sure that our building and property are safe and effective for ministry, and they do a lot of the thankless work around here. So the trustees are the ones who get the FaceTime calls from me when I come in on Tuesday morning and see the leak coming in on the hallway, and uh, they've got jobs, and uh, but they uh, hand, handle that as well, and so I'm just so thankful to them. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is because there's three major projects that the trustees have done recently, so, and you've probably noticed them, right? The new sign out front is a major thing and it's beautiful. They did a tremendous job with that. And then the new sidewalks out front as well. The old ones were crumbling. I think they were original to this when the school was built back in. When was the school built? 56, long time ago. They were original, they were long overdue and that was a major project getting people in to do that. And then the new sliding door, we got like a fancy automatic door out in front. I don't know if you guys walked in that entrance this morning or not, but um, that happened as well. So anyways, can we please, if you're a trustee, would you please stand up so we can just thank you. You don't get a lot of thanks and we just wanna thank you. Do it, come on, I'm looking at some of you right now. Stand up, thank you. They're still not, Tom, stand up. Okay, they're not standing up. They don't want to be, they don't do this for the thanks, obviously. And uh, um, uh, I won't consider that a, a, a pastoral di- disobedience or anything. But anyway, they don't want, they don't do it for the thanks. But uh, man, man, that is just just—it's such a huge blessing. So I just want to thank you guys for all the work that you do to serve our body. So thank you very much. Those are all the shout outs I have for this morning and uh, that, in doing that I know there's people I'm leaving out. For example the advisory committee is another one who they're especially this time of year working hard to get the budget together for next year things that um, are uh, things just behind the scenes that you don't necessarily see but it allows us and enables us to do the ministry that the Lord is calling us to do. So for all of you who are using your gifts in any way to serve the body, let me just say a tremendous thank you. I appreciate that so much. We appreciate that, and that's what being the church is all about. That's why God gave us a whole plethora of gifts to use them for the building up of the body. So thank you very much. Those are all the shout-outs I have this morning. Let's pray now, and as we turn to God's word in the book of James, please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we are, uh, it's just such a joy to serve you as a body as a family placed here, planted here in Tipton to make Christ known to our neighbors here in Tipton County and to the ends of the earth, to those who have never heard. That's what you call us to do, Lord. So I just pray, since we've been talking about, that we would continue to be a church, especially as we think to the future, as we think to what you're calling us to be, that we would continue to be a church with Christ at the head as the cornerstone, that all of us submit to him in the gospel, that we're bound together in Christ, through Christ first, and then community, the way that we love one another, the way that we serve one another, the way that we are bound in relationship with one another, that that would be second, Lord, and then that our mission, the great commission that you call us to would be third, God, that we would do those things, that we would be that kind of body, Lord. So we thank you for, I thank you, God, this morning for all those who use their gifts to build up the body, Lord. And we just pray now as we turn to the book of James, as we talk about what it means to not only hear the word, but live it out, God, that you would help Help us see uh, areas that we're not doing that, that we'd be more like Jesus after hearing your word this morning, God, and spending time in it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. One of the, uh, one of the reasons that uh, I know you hired me as your pastor is for my just like always on the nose, like perfect cultural references. I am just so hip and with it culturally, and you all know that. And speaking of which, I have a reference to make. A, I wonder if any of you are Bob Newhart fans. Any Bob Newhart fans in the building? This is like, I don't even, that's such an old reference. I don't think any of us could really say with confidence if he is alive or not. Does anyone even know if he's alive or not? He, is. He's alive. he, he's alive. He's, he was on NCIS. <laughs> anyone have any, so we're going to go with that. We think he's alive. He is alive. Okay, Jesus for sure is alive, and then we think Bob Newhart is alive too. <laughs> Anyways, I'm a big. I, I just, it's just. It holds up. He's an old comedian. If you don't know who he is, something like I don't. Pastor Mike, help me out here. I don't even know who you're talking about. He's an old comedian, and uh, he uh, he uh, just really funny. Anyways here's where I'm going with this. Here, I say I get lost at the beginning in my own thoughts all the time. The point is, so there's this old sketch of Bob Newhart, and uh, he, uh, he plays a psychiatrist, and so this lady walks into his psychiatry office, and she sits down, and she says, you know, I've been having this problem. He said, talk, you know, talk to me. What's, what's the problem that you have? And I'm going to butcher the whole thing and trying to reenact it for you here. But he said, what's the problem? And she says, well, I just have this, like, this fear. I'm, I'm claustrophobic. Like, I have this fear of being in, like, really tight spaces. In fact, my my biggest fear is that I'm going to be buried alive. Like I, every night I have these nightmares that I'm being buried alive. And I wake up and I think that all the walls are closing in on me. And he says, okay. And he's kind of writing some things down. And he says, and he says okay. And in his Bob Newhart kind of way, he says, all right, well, I, have, I, I know I'm going to be able to fix your problem. I know exactly what you need to do. And I have two words for you. And, and once I tell you those two words, your your problem will be fixed. And she says, okay, should I, should I write them down? And he, again, in his Bob Newhart way, says, well, you know, I, most people can remember two words, but if you need to write them down, you can go ahead and write them down. So she gets out a pen and paper, and he says, okay, are you ready for the, for the two words that I'm going to give you? And she says, yeah. He says, okay, here you are. Stop it. Stop it, he says. He says, I think three times. Stop it. She's like, excuse me? He says, stop. Stop feeling claustrophobic. Stop thinking the walls are going to close in. Have you ever been buried alive before? And she says, well, no. He says, okay, stop it. And then he says, any other problems? And uh, she says, well, yeah, I have, I tend to have, like, a lot of destructive tendencies in my relationships with men. And he says, okay, stop it. And he says, anything else? And she says, yeah, well, I've been having some body image issues. And he says, okay, stop it, right? And he just goes down the line with all this, just stop it. If, are you having a problem? Stop it. And the reason that I, this came to mind and. uh, is that as I was reading our passage this morning, the key verse is James chapter 1, verse 22. In fact, I'm going to ask, we're going to have some participation here. This is an every man a warrior verse. We got a lot of guys in every man a warrior. So I'm going to ask one brave warrior, if he has this verse memorized, because we've memorized a bunch of verses, if he wants to stand up and recite James 1, 22 to our church right now. Anybody raising their hand? Come on. I'm going to just wait until somebody does it. Uh, I'm seeing a hand be. All right, Tim Hoover's got it. Stand up so we can all hear you. Let's go, Tim. Do not listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. There you go. Let's give Tim a round of applause. Do not merely, there you go. <laughs> Do not merely listen to the word. That was very brave. I'm very proud of you, Tim. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what the Bible says. And that's what made me think of this Bob Newhart sketch. Like, do you have any sin in your life? Just stop it and just do what the Bible says. Do you have any problems that are going on? Do what the Bible says and everything will be fixed, right? But obviously, it's not that simple. And I'm going to illustrate that. Here's some more participation. So I'm going to ask two questions. I want you to raise your hand if this is true of you. Raise your hand, question number one. If you, on some level, in some area of your heart, have a desire to do what the Bible says. Raise your hand if you want to, on some level, do what the Bible says. Most people should be raising their hands, right? Um, You would think um, that that would be something that every single one of us wants to do. If you want to obey the Bible, um, that's a good thing. Question number two. Raise your hand if... In every instance, every time, every day, you always obey the Bible and do what it says. Raise your hand. Fewer hands are going up, right? None of us, right? Nobody can say that. So if that's you, if you're not doing what the Bible says, I have two words for you. Stop it. Stop disobeying the Bible and do what it says. No, I'm just kidding. There's a disconnect there, isn't there? There's a disconnect between just the simplicity of do what the Bible says. We all desire on some level to obey scripture, and yet there's a disconnect between that and our actual living it out. And that disconnect has a word. It's a very tiny word. It's three letters, and it starts with an S. What's the disconnect between our desire to obey and our obedience? What is it? Sin. It's sin. James is writing to Christians who sin. That is the audience of the letter. Raise your hand if you're a Christian who sins. That should be all of us following Jesus will answer with a yes. In fact, as we get further into the letter, he kind of starts off, he starts them off easy. But as we get further into the letter, we're actually going to see more and more instances of where there's like real dysfunction going on in the communities that James is writing to. And so while in theory, the solution to sin is a simple one. Do what the Bible says. If you do what the Bible says, here's, here's something interesting. If you do what the Bible says, you will never be sinning. <laughs> it is never a sin to obey Scripture. So the solution is simple, do what the Bible says, and yet in practice, it's much more difficult. And so this morning, what we're going to see as we jump into this passage here is that James is actually giving us two commands regarding how we respond to God's word. In verse 21, he tells us to receive it, and in verse 22, he tells us to do it, to live it out, to do what it says. But interspersed throughout the rest of this passage are these different roadblocks to our being able to live out and receive the word. And so we're actually going to see six of these roadblocks. So we're going to have two major headers receiving the word and obeying the word, doing what the word says. But under those are going to be six roadblocks that get in the way of us actually obeying what God calls us to do. And so as we go through this morning, what I kind of want going on in the back of your mind is just to be thinking like, which one of these really applies to me? Like, which one of these am I really struggling with? Like, we all know our hearts, right? So which area, which of these roadblocks is one of the things that is getting in the way of my hearing the word and then actually doing what it says? that sound good? That's where we're going this morning. All right, here we go. Verse 19, how to respond to God's word. Look in your Bibles with me. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So the first way that we're called to be ready to receive the word of God is as a good listener. Be quick, to lis- be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you don't do these things, it's going to be a roadblock in your ability to receive the word. And So let me just ask you, James, again, is a very practical book. It makes the application pretty simple are these things true of you are you a good listener maybe I should ask a more convicting question you ready for this one would your spouse say you're a good listener or the person you're closest with your roommate your mom dad ouch (laughs) that one hurts a little bit more to think about right do you listen well to those around you? And then are you slow to speak, right? These two things go hand in hand, James says. Are you always just trying to get your opinion in? Or do you always just assume that you, like, you have the right answer and like everyone's just waiting for like, your answer? Are you quick to speak? or are you genuinely listening to those who are around you and slow to speak this is like soaked in old testament wisdom proverbs 10:19 says when words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent so is that you are your words many or do you restrain your lips are you the kind of person who listens first and speaks second or do you speak first and listen second. And then third, are you slow to become angry? These things, again, are all just wrapped up in each other. Are you slow to become angry? This is something that's actually very countercultural right now. I want you to hear me on this, church. Because, in fact, so much of what we like consume in like, our media diet right now is actually designed to make us angry. You know that? Like the anger is the point of it. I came across this term, I was reading a newspaper article actually, and I came across this term called doomscrolling. Has anyone ever heard that before? I'd never heard this before. Doom scrolling. It just sounds powerful when you say it. Do, like scrolling on your phone. I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. It says this. Doomscrolling is the act of spending, see if anyone's convicted by this, doomscrolling is the act of spending an excessive amount of screen time devoted to the absorption of negative news. If that is how you're spending your time, are you going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? No. So let me just say to those doom scrollers out there, pastorally, the words of Bob Newhart, stop it. (laughs) That's when we can actually stop, right? Maybe this isn't good for my heart. Maybe this isn't good for my soul. This is making me quick to become angry, and as a result, I'm not listening well, and I'm just quick to give my opinion about why all those people are just a bunch of idiots, right? It's not, does not, as James says, bring about the righteousness of God. Here's the most important part that James is getting at, because this is just kind of general wisdom right now, but when it hits home to our faith, this is what James is saying by putting this right here. If you're not a good listener to people. If you're not the kind of person who listens well, who's slow to speak, who's slow to become angry, if you're not that kind of person in your life with those around you, especially with your Christian brothers and sisters, if you're not that kind of person with those around you, you're not gonna be able to listen to God. If you're not a good listener to those around you, there's no way you're gonna be able to listen to God. It's like that idea, you practice how you play, right? I'm not going to be able to. I'm not. I won't listen to other people. I'm just going to always give my opinion. But when it comes to God, that's when I'll really sit and think about what He has to say and let it change my heart. It doesn't work that way. If you're not a good listener to those around you, you're not going to be a good listener to God. If you're going to be ready to receive the Word, you need to be the kind of person who listens well. That's the first roadblock that can get in the way of obedience. Are you even like hearing it? Are you like, cultivating the, like, the skill of hearing so that when God is speaking, you're ready to listen? You've got to be ready to receive the word by being a good listener. Secondly, by putting away immorality. By putting away immorality, verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I like this, put away all filthiness and wickedness. The wording here, the word that he uses actually kind of brings about this idea of like taking off dirty clothes, like clothes that are just like, mud stain, right? Owen just had a soccer game, two soccer games yesterday morning on the muddiest field I've ever seen, and uh, we had to get those clothes off him as soon as he got home, right? It's that kind of idea, like take those old clothes off and put on your new clothes of righteousness. This is all over over the New Testament, excuse me. Ephesians 4 is put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's who you used to be, And Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. This is who you are now, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. This is what the normal Christian life is. like. This is it, church. It's a renewal. It's a continual putting off of the old self and putting on of the new. There's a fancy theological term for this called progressive sanctification. All that means is progressive, what's progress? You're moving somewhere. What's sanctification? Becoming holy. So when you follow Jesus, you should be moving in that direction of becoming more and more like him. But the irony of it is that the more you follow Jesus, the more you're aware of just how repulsive those old stinky clothes really are. So sometimes it can actually feel like you're moving backwards because you're seeing deeper and deeper into the sin in your heart. But that's how we grow. If you don't ever find yourself like disappointed in your own sinfulness... You're probably not growing. You're not dismayed by the way that your heart responds to things. God, why am I this way? You're not growing. Spiritual growth isn't, again, just this like straight line that says, okay, now I just always do the right thing and I always feel good about it. Spiritual growth is the continual recognition that I need to be putting off the old self and putting on the new. And when we're not doing that, it gets in the way of our ability to receive the word. And that's where James says, be putting these things away, like get rid of them now if they're in your life this filthiness, this rampant wickedness, if that's in your life and you're not doing anything about it, you're not going to be able to receive the word. That's roadblock number two, receiving the word. Here's roadblock number three. We need to be ready to receive the word with humility. With humility. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So the implanted word, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been planted in your hearts. He says, receive it, not with pride, with meekness, humility, with this gentleness of attitude and behavior. The gospel shouldn't make you more prideful and more harsh. If you're more prideful and more harsh after receiving Jesus than before, you didn't receive Jesus Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Man, how often are we just like pursuing meekness, right? Like, God, make me more meek. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Again, that's countercultural. We're called to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So you can see James is kind of contrasting two kinds of people here, right? Person number one doesn't listen to anyone, speaks out of turn, always getting angry just like that, they're prideful, they're just like living in sin and don't care about it. It's person number one, that person can't receive the word. And we're all that in one way or another, right? Hopefully not all those things at once. Maybe you are. That's what it means to become more like Jesus, is putting those things away. Person number two, we should all desire to be someone who listens first, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, is continually putting away those old patterns that belong to the old self, that don't belong to those who follow Jesus anymore, and they're becoming more and more humble as they realize the greatness of their Savior and the Incredible truth of what happened when they were saved and where, where they would be if it hadn't happened. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You want to be those kind of people. If you're not a good listener, if you're not putting away those old things that belong to your old life, taking off those old clothes, if you're not humble, These are things that are going to get in the way of receiving the word. Moving on. Not only are we called to be ready to receive the word, but to do what it says. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He says, don't just hear the word, do what it says. And then he gives this analogy of someone who looks in the mirror and then just forgets what they look like. I've shared with you guys before, uh, Emily and I both graduated from uh, Taylor University, and there's this thing that they used to do. I don't know if they still do this at Taylor. Lane. I'm going to need some help from you maybe. It's called like capture beauty week or something or beauty week or is this have they done away with this and so i don't guess they don't do this anymore but basically what they did the point of it was it was a good heart behind it the point of it was like to teach people that what is on the outside doesn't matter as much as what's on the inside but in practice all what they would do which made all the girls on campus hate it was that they'd cover up the mirrors in the girls bathrooms this is not something that happens anymore. You're saying, okay, so this is, uh, you. so anyway, so they cover up all the mirrors in the girls' bathrooms so you couldn't see to, like, put on your makeup and things. So, again, it was supposed to, is probably why they don't do it. It was supposed to teach you why, like, the value of your inner beauty is more important than your outer beauty. What it actually taught you was how important mirrors were, right? And so uh, it kind of did the opposite of what it was supposed to do. But what's the purpose of a mirror? It's to show you what you look like, right? That's kind of the the first purpose of a mirror. So you can look into a mirror and see what you look like. But there's actually a, a bigger purpose of a mirror, not just to see what you look like, but to actually see where the problems are, right? Like. None of you, well, hopefully none of you, maybe some of you just like use your mirror just to like walk up and just say, yep, I look awesome. And you just kind of look at yourself for a while and then walk away. And then when you want to remember how awesome you look, you just go right back to the mirror and yep, still awesome. Right? That's maybe some of you. But pro- for most of us, we use it to see like, oh, I spilled, uh, spilled ketchup on my shirt or something. Right? like It's to point out the areas that need to be addressed. We've all had that horrifying experience where you have a conversation with someone for a long time and then you see yourself in a mirror later and you realize what? You had a big black thing right in the middle of your teeth and they didn't even tell you about it. Tell me about it if I ever have something in my teeth, by the way. It's just a good practice. Anyways, that's why you need a mirror is to show you what you actually look like. James tells us God's word is a spiritual mirror. It shows us as we really are. It shows what's really in our hearts. It shows us what our motivations are. And once we've seen that reflection, we got to do something about it, right? What James says is that the person who sees what's in their heart and doesn't do something about it is like the person who sees that thing in their teeth and doesn't go to fix it, right? Like imagine someone going to a job interview and they find the thing in their teeth and then they walk away from the mirror and they just forget about it. They just assume everything's okay. Say, that's foolish. It's the exact same thing with the spiritual mirror of God's word. As we look into it, as it reveals what's in our hearts, Hebrews, it says that the Word of God pierces the division of bone and marrow, of soul and spirit. Like, it shows us, like, there's nothing that can pierce our hearts more than God's Word. As we look into God's Word, and we see what's in our hearts, if you don't do anything about it, you're foolish, James says. Don't just hear it. Do what it says. Respond to it. When it reveals something about you, act on it. There's something even scarier, though, than just like the foolishness of, of not responding to it. And that's what we see in uh, verse 22 as we look at it again. It's the fact that we can actually be like lying to ourselves. So it's not just an unawareness or a forgetfulness, it's actually a deceiving ourselves. And so as we get ready to do what God's word says, we need to make sure that we're not lying to yourself. Verse 22 again be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. That's a scary thought. Doug Moo is a commentator. He says this. He says, The idea of deceive in these contexts is clear. To be deceived is to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious state. Hear this. People can think they are right with God when really they are not. It's one thing to know you're not right with God, but man, what a scary thought that I can think I'm right with God, and I'm not. There's a real danger here for every single one of us, and I think the danger is especially there for people who have been Christians for a long time, right? They've heard countless sermons. They know all the Bible stories. They know all the fancy words to say to other Christians to make it sound like they're growing. But deep down, they know they're not. Deep down, it's not true. And when you're living that way, James calls that a double-minded life or double-souled life like you're split within yourself. James calls us to live a single-minded life But when you're living that double-minded life for long enough, the scary thing is even you can start to deceive yourself about it and you can start to think that you are on firmer ground in your faith than you really are. It's a scary thought. So how do we know? How do we know if we're deceiving ourselves or not? Well, thankfully, he doesn't just leave us there and tell us to figure it out. He tells us in verse 25, it says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, into that mirror, into God's perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the simple answer to that question, am I deceiving myself, is am I obeying Jesus or not? Am I obeying Jesus? Am I doing what Jesus says? This is not something that James came up with on his own. Jesus himself asked this question in Luke chapter 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why would you call me Lord if you're not living like I'm your Lord? If I'm your Lord, you'll do what I say. So why would you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Like, Think about this. If If you're driving to an 80 and a 55, and uh, Officer Dakota Anderson or Officer Nichols pulls you over for speeding, how much good would it do you to say, don't worry, officer, I know what the speed limit is. Not much good. Officer, not only do I know what this speed limit is, I actually have all the speed limits in our whole county memorized. Okay? In fact... I get together with my friends every week to talk about how important it is to drive safe and not drive too fast. Okay? I even have a bumper sticker on my car. It says, you know, drive slow. How much good does that do you? You're a constant speeder, right? Not much. David, would that get me out of a ticket? It would not, he says. <laughs> and the scary thing is when we do that with our faith, to the point where even we can start to believe it. So the way that we can know, the litmus test to know if our faith is genuine or not is does it change how we live. We'll get into this more as we get into the book of James. We're saved by grace through faith. It's only by our grace, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the evidence of that faith is how we live it out. There's no fruit of God's grace in our hearts. And you should have no assurance that you are truly saved. I say that as your pastor because I love you. You can believe and yet not have faith. James says in 2.19, you believe that there is one God, good. And once he say after that, even the who? Demons believe. What's their response? They shudder. So it's about our response. What does that belief do in our hearts? Shouldn't do what it does to the demons. Should produce in us a righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit in following Christ. So as we close, I want us to think about that. But there's one more thing I want to mention here because not a single one of you raised your hand if I, when I asked if you obey the Bible every time and every circumstance, right? So obviously, we all got some work to do in this, and we will for as many days that God gives us breath. But the opposite of someone who forgets what he looks like when he looks into the mirror, James says, is someone who perseveres. That's why I want to focus on, not want to key in on that last word, perseveres. As we close, because you might be hearing this this morning, you'd be thinking like, I'm that person, Pastor Mike. I'm the one who looks into the mirror, and I know what God's word says, but I'm not doing it. I'm the one who can make it look like I have it all together, I'm just lying to myself. And if that's you, you need to let this word perseveres, like wash over you, Because it means that it's not too late. In fact, if you look at this text and your takeaway is, it's already too late for me, you're doing the exact opposite of what the text is intended to do in the first place. This text is showing you right now what's in your heart. And if you see it, and if you're breathing, it means that God is not done with you yet. If you have another breath coming, do you, all of us have another breath coming? Let's see. Okay, we're all still here. Nobody keeled over right then. We all have more breath, which means God's not done with you just yet. So you're seeing it right now. You're seeing those, maybe some of those things in your teeth, right? It's the ketchup on your shirt, the hole in your jeans. You're seeing those things. So you cannot turn away from that, say it's too late, or worse, say oh, it actually wasn't that bad, right? That's what the enemy wants to do to you on Monday morning. Maybe on Sunday you think I got some work to do, work to do. but guess what? On Monday he's going to want you to say, you know what that picture you saw in the mirror? You don't have to worry about any of that. That's why it's so much grace in God's word that he gives us this chance to see ourselves in the mirror for who we are and go away and do something about it. I want to do something about it. I want to get that food out of my teeth. I want to take those dirty socks off. I want to do something about it. So God is not done with you Yet you are hearing this right now God is not done with you yet and praise the Lord for his grace is that not an astounding grace that he allows us to see these things he doesn't have to show us these things but he does he gives us the opportunity to live it out so let me urge you as you see yourself this morning don't forget what you look like the good the bad and the ugly What is getting in the way of your obedience? Are you quick to speak and slow to listen? Are you unwilling to give up your sin? Are you proud? Are you just hearing the word but not obeying it? Are you lying to yourself about your obedience? Are you failing to put all that knowledge into practice? Whatever it is, whatever that roadblock is, whatever that thing is that the word is revealing to you, don't give up. Persevere. The one who perseveres will be blessed. You will receive the blessing from the Lord. So a response to this cannot be shame. Our response is in awe at the amazing grace of God that he hasn't given up on us just yet. God has not given up on you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Press on. Dear brother and dear sister, persevere. Repent where you need to repent. God sees the whole picture. He doesn't need the mirror to see who you really are. We need it. So we repent where we need to repent. And we persevere. And we press on in good works in the grace of God. And we know his boundless and matchless grace. If you do that, God promises that you will be blessed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and let's thank the Lord. God, we thank you for your word which is a mirror to our soul. So, Lord, I just pray that we would not see it and forget, walk away and forget what we look like, God. Help us to do what it says. And, God, we all fall short. We all fail in that, God. But just because we fail doesn't mean we cannot grow. You call us to grow, become more like Jesus. So God, do a work in our hearts today, we pray, and we thank you for your grace as you do that. We pray all these things in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus. Amen.